0: Hi and welcome to the Irish American Politics Show. I'm your host, Gina London. In this special series, we set out to explore and examine through the lens of the Irish American voter, what is being described as the most divisive and contentious US election for president in its history. And for this particular episode, I am delighted to be having join us today, Stephanie Schmidt, she is running for Congress in New Jersey as a Democrat against a 20-term incumbent. We're gonna talk about that in a minute, but I wanna welcome her onto our program right now. Stephanie Schmidt, it's a real pleasure to meet you. And to also note that your background, you're an attorney, you're a human rights activist, you're also a former diplomat, having served with the US State Department as a foreign service officer. It is a real pleasure to welcome you here to the Irish American Politics Show. And let's kick off because you do have Irish American pedigree.
1: I do. Thank you, Gina. Yes, I. Um, my mom on her side, her maiden name is McBroom. And then my dad's mother is a Glavin. So we've got strong Irish roots on both sides, about 50 to 60 percent uh, based on our DNA testing. And I've visited Ireland a number of times and really think it's such a beautiful country. And I'm a proud Irish-American Democrat uh, in a long line of uh, Irish-American Democratic politicians.
0: Well, and having been here, you'll know that when I first moved here, I'm an American who lived who's lived now in Ireland for about five years. And if I had a Euro for every time someone told me that Ireland is the 51st state, I would be wealthy beyond imagination right now because Irish, In particular, I think, having lived in other places in Europe, pay incredible attention to U.S. politics and in particular to the Democratic politics in some respects. And as a Democrat who's running for Congress with a guy, as I mentioned, who's been in office for 40 years, 20 terms, Congressman Chris Smith, the the Republican, it's interesting because not only are you running against him, but you actually worked for him in some respect early on.
1: Explain that. I did. Congressman Smith and I first met about 24 years ago in the summer of 1997 when I was doing a nonpartisan fellowship program in high school as a 16-year-old in Washington, D.C., and it brought you know kids from all over the country to Washington to learn about the U.S. government and the separation of powers and checks and balances. A lucky few of us were assigned internships based on geographic proximity rather than political parties. So this Jersey girl was assigned to the office of a Jersey guy, Chris Smith. And that's where the similarities really end. But I do have the Congressman to thank for um, my career in foreign policy and human rights work. Because he, uh, at the time, and still does, serves on the House Foreign Affairs Committee. And I was blessed to be able to attend a number of those hearings, write memos, and do work. And it really um, sprouted an interest in me that shaped my entire life working on international human rights work, particularly when it comes to women rights. And so the congressman and I differ very deeply on a lot of those policies, but I have my genesis uh, in his office.
0: Well, and I want to talk to you more about the particular areas of the issues that are you're most passionate about as you're running for Congress. But I also want to take a step back and just talk about, because as, as I mentioned, particularly Irish and Irish Americans who might even be listening to this and watching this and potentially from New Jersey where they could cast a vote. Talk a little bit about politics and being a candidate in this environment at this time.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I am running in New Jersey's fourth congressional district. We have 12 in New Jersey. And after the 2018 election, uh, 11 of the 12 were held by Democrats. So I am running against the last Republican standing in New Jersey. As you mentioned, he was elected back in 1980, the year, <laughs> I was before, you, were the year you were born. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and has served since then. And so this is, look, New Jersey as recently as twenty, uh, going into the 2016 election, the delegation was split 50-50 Democrats and Republicans, and Congressman Josh Gottheimer ran and won in 2016 and flipped a seat. And then in 2018, a number of Democrats with national security backgrounds, including my former colleague, Tom Malinowski, who also worked at the State Department on human rights issues, ran and won and flipped seats in New Jersey from red to blue. And so this is a state that sort of, I think, is a microcosm in some ways of democratic politics and the sort of new generation of service-oriented leaders who are stepping forward, feeling called to serve our country again. We're all people who believe in the power of the government to deliver results for everyday families, working families. And I think that's all why we're running. And uh, we're also running because of our national security concerns. You know, this is not the America that many of us served overseas. It's the the messages being put forth right now by this administration are not uh, why we signed up to serve our country, uh, are not emblematic of American values of uh, exceptionalism and human rights and openness to immigrants and, uh, you know, welcoming that beacon on a shining hill Um, Those are the American values that I believe in and it's why I step forward to run for office during this very difficult environment because it really is a calling uh, for me. It's about serving my country again in a different way.
0: Thank you. You know what's interesting? In our last episode, we talked to an immigration attorney, and she talked about this American dream that so many people look toward, and that uh, that ideal, and that that morale that they're looking for, and that welcome. And you talked about what motivated you to run, and it was interesting because as I was reading about Chris Smith, your your opponent, your the incumbent. I had thought that I'd said that, he had, that he'd that he raise loads of money and that that was gonna be a challenge. But you say in this environment, actually you're finding great opportunities to raise money and in fact are exceeding him.
1: Yeah, so Congressman Smith is actually not a prolific fundraiser at all. The majority of his money comes from out of state, from political action committees associated with the pro life movement. And that's really been his agenda, working to ban access to not just abortion, but birth control here in the US and overseas. He's a proponent of a policy called the global gag rule, which is extremely harmful to women and children around the world. But I've asked. And you were very, you were very active,
0: were you not, when you were with the Foreign Service? in reproductive rights and women's rights. Can you talk a little bit about that and then bring us back yeah, to and bring back the differences so between you and the, the, the incumbent?
1: Yeah, so it's actually why I resigned from the State Department. I really thought I would be a diplomat for the rest of my life. It's the most incredible job ever to serve your country around the world uh, and represent the best of America. And I enjoyed that work incredibly. But after the 2016 election, having been someone who specialized in helping other countries hold free and fair elections, working to elect more women to parliaments around the world and working on women's rights issues, I was deeply dismayed by the direction this administration took, particularly when it came to women's human human rights issues, including reproductive health care. And as I think many of your audience will know, the U.S. government publishes annual human rights reports every year. And I resigned after we cut massive sections of those reports in 2018, including the section having to do with women's access to reproductive health care. And I actually went to a nonprofit profit and uh, led the fight. I sued the Trump administration twice over those deletions and wrote a bill that is now in the United States Congress um, has been introduced called the Reproductive Rights or Human yes. Rights Act. So that's what's motivating. Well, me. One, one of the things that
0: we were talking about in this particular in this program was the idea of generational politics. And so you're coming as as a as a young woman who's passionate about reproductive rights, and you're taking on this, this boomer who's been, as you said, a singular a singular issue person for so long I'm curious about the other dynamic women that are already in Congress have you heard from the squad have you heard from AOC are the the congressional Democrat women who are so strong out there have they reached out to you or have you reached out to them
1: yeah, so some of my mentors um, in the current Congress are people I actually have the opportunity to know and, and work on and donate to their campaigns when they ran, uh, including Congresswoman Mikey Sherrill, who represents the New Jersey district, and Congresswoman Katie Porter out in California, who's just a brilliant uh, member of our oversight committee and also Congresswoman Abby Finkenauer who's in Iowa. And I admire those women greatly and they've been mentors of mine. Um, I've had the the pleasure of meeting Ayanna Presley, Congresswoman Presley, once before. And I really admire all the women stepping forward to run for office and uh, owning that space in a way that we haven't seen in American politics for quite some time. And to tie back on the fundraising, just to answer your question and close that loop, um, I have actually seen a huge surge of grassroots donations from women all over America who care about choice issues, who believe that we need to have access to birth control and control when and how we bring children into the world. And so that's been amazing. And I've also had a lot of support from our national security and foreign policy community, folks who have worked with Congressman Smith over the years in his role on House Foreign Affairs and know that he is pursuing a very extreme agenda over just a select number of issues. So it's the contrast here is that I'm not taking Money from corporations or PACs. I'm only taking money from grassroots donors, but I've been able to outraise him uh, twice now, and we believe we'll have more cash on hand as we close this election out. And
0: see, this is an important distinction to make, and I'm glad that you're making it. I'm going to underline it, and we'll expand on it. Hopefully, the idea of campaign finance in the U.S. is often one that makes other countries just jaw drop about the, the amount of money that needs to be raised to run a successful campaign. But where that money comes from, which is what you just talked about, is also so important, especially when we talk about the millennial voters or the Gen Y voters or the young voters who are thinking about the passionate issues today. Reproductive rights, you've talked about. Also, you've been very active in LGBTQ issues as well. Talk to me a little bit about fundraising and issues and what drives voters out today.
1: You know, every single dollar that somebody donates to a campaign is helpful in reaching voters because we can run a digital advertisement for, you know, $100 and reach people all across the district. And so those those small dollar donations drive and fuel a lot of Democratic uh, victories and successes. And I have to tell you that, you know, there are some people who I've been blessed in my life who have been successful to write you know, bigger checks to my campaign, uh, friends and family. But the, the donations that matter the most to me are people like the out of work restaurant server doesn't even live in my district in New Jersey, but was really passionate about my campaign, sending me a $25 check out of his unemployment because he thinks this race is so important. And that's just jaw-dropping to me how much people care all over this country about electing more women to office, about electing politicians who are responsive and present in their community. My opponent doesn't even live here. He spends about 10 days a year back in district. He had a town hall 27 years ago. It's been over a quarter of a century since we've had a public town hall where constituents could just show up and ask him questions. And he's refusing to debate me. Um, so it is. It, it takes a lot of money to run, especially somewhere like New Jersey, where if I want to go on television, I'm buying ads in the New York and Philadelphia media markets. Um, but that's why I support campaign finance reform and a suite mm-hmm. of reforms that that the House passed earlier this year, because it really should be about the ideas and not the money. But for now, I have to run in the environment that we find ourselves in and raise the money that's necessary to win. And it's not fun, it's hard work, Um, but I'm doing it because I wanna serve the people and I believe in these issues. So anybody out there that's wondering, "Does does your $5 donation make a difference? It does. And I actually, I have this notebook and I write down every single donation I get the name, the dollar amount, and where they're from, and I keep it with me to remind me who I'm fighting for and who's invested in me. And it's really an honor and a privilege uh, to receive that help and support.
0: You know that is actually, and I want to draw a line under that too, because having worked your early on in my career, I worked at the Democratic Senatorial Campaign Committee, and we used to go to the SEC and pull files and the and the different the financial reports and things like that. So all that stuff is available. But the fact that you as a candidate are taking personal notes to write down and remember in your own handwriting, the people that have donated, as you mentioned, even $5, that does show a lot about your heart. I want to talk a little bit. You were talking about the people who would be coming out to vote to know who's who has supported you with the, for their donations, because who cares enough to come out and donate? But also in this time, and you mentioned there hasn't been a town hall in decades, it's also very difficult to come out, I imagine now under COVID, to do town halls or do campaigning. Question about campaigning and how to do that in your district as you're running, and also concerns, but wouldn't be, uh, we have to ask this question about concerns around mail voting, around, real or imagined around getting people to turn those in and actually vote this year? Campaigning, get out the vote.
1: Two great questions, Gina. Um, So campaigning. Um, you know, we've been innovative. We went online. New Jersey was one of the first states in the U.S. to be hit incredibly hard. So we shut down all uh, public operations back in mid-March, according to the governor's order, and, you know, closed up our office. We've all been working remotely, and we've done a lot of things online. So I do Facebook town halls on different subjects and issues almost every week. Uh, You can find us at Stephanie for New Jersey across social media. And so we've been really innovative. And we've done the same thing with fundraising. You know, before you were gathering people in a room and you were limited geographically, but now we can gather people from all over the country on Zoom and talk about an issue that matters to all of us. So we've done a lot of those themed events, um, both in town halls and fundraising. Um, getting out the vote. Look, New Jersey had its first vote by mail primary election in July. We delayed our election for over six weeks almost because of the pandemic. And, um, you know, it wasn't perfect, but I think it showed what can be done when you have proactive leadership uh, to keep folks safe, but allow them to vote. So we're doing another almost primarily vote by mail, entirely vote by mail election in November. <laughs> I'm and curious.
0: I how, how was sorry to cross over you. How was turnout? I know it was delayed, but how was turnout not compared to a general, but compared to another primary? How did it, how did it translate comparatively?
1: In my district, we had the biggest yeah. Democratic turnout we've ever seen. It surpassed 50. 2008, 2016. People came out to vote. Um, And that's really encouraging. Now, in this district, we have a lot of independent, unaffiliated voters, and they didn't vote in the primary because it's a closed system. closed primary. Mm -hmm. We're doing a lot of education uh, outreach right now to independent voters just telling them, what the vote by mail process is like. In New Jersey, every voter is going to get a ballot mailed to them. They don't have to request it. They actually started going out today in some of my counties and will continue to go out through October 5th and we're allowing people to drop them off at secure ballot box drop locations at the board of elections. You can take it to your polling place on election day. And of course, you can put it back through the mail. And I have to tell you, it's one of the most secure ways to vote. And I know that because as a U.S. Foreign Service officer, I voted by mail from overseas for the majority of my adult life. And it really... We have signature verification and so many other procedures in place and I'm really proud that our legislature and our governor just signed the ballot cure act into law and that goes a step further and it requires the state to notify voters whose ballots have been rejected because their signature doesn't match or there's another problem about the issue and give them the opportunity to cure that mistake at the board of elections. And what that does is ensures that the heart of American democracy, our fundamental one person, one vote is guaranteed and insured. And we need to be doing so much more in this country to make it easier for people to vote election day should be a federal holiday. We should extend polling place uh, hours and and expand early voting. We should expand the locations where people can vote. It should be something that's easy to do, not something that's difficult to do. And anybody that fears people voting is not somebody who's winning on the ideas.
0: And that's such an interesting aspect, is that the idea that Republicans will be would be largely opposed to making things simpler does speak greatly to what might be the concern about encouraging more people, not fewer people to vote. When we have this type of false rumors about the concerns around mail voting and these rigged election claims that we're hearing, and I say that not trying to be unneutral, but that every reputable organization has said there is no evidence of, of expansive voter fraud. It is it is a safe and, and secure way to to vote my last state that i lived in full-time was colorado and it's been doing pure mail-in in ballot votes elections for years talk though about the importance to get out the vote in this election how important margins are i know there's a lot of discussion on the general presidential election about the electoral college but in your district in the congressional districts and senate races it is one person one vote. That's what gets it across the line. How important is it then if you get that that request to mail in your ballot, that they mail that in? Back to your point about a $5 contribution matters. How important is each person's vote?
1: It's so important. I I know. I mean, I've talked to people who say, my voice doesn't matter. It's not going to change anything. That is just not true. We know from the 2016 presidential election, that there were so many folks who sat at home and didn't vote, more people than supported the current president. And so it's critical and at the lower level, I've seen school board elections, town council elections decided by less than five votes. I have a friend who ran for Congress in Texas in 2018 and lost by less than a thousand votes. And I'm so proud that Gina Ortiz Jones is running again. And her Republican opponent was so afraid of running against her again, that he retired from Congress at the ripe old age of 43. And she's going to flip that seat. And that's an illustration to you. You know, there are Hundreds of thousands, most congressional districts have anywhere from 600,000 to 800,000 voters in them. And this elect, that election was decided by less than a thousand votes. It really mm-hmm. is critical. And, I, you know, it's a right that many people fought and died for and protested for and struggled for in the history of our country and around the world. And I think particularly as a foreign service officer that worked on elections issues overseas, I can tell you there are so many folks who, who literally would die to have the opportunity to cast a democratic ballot in an election in countries around the world and we as americans need to recognize the privilege that we have to vote in our elections in this democracy and exercise that privilege and that obligation to to be a voice and to have a say in how our country will be governed there's too much at stake this year to sit at home and it's never been easier to vote at least in new jersey
0: you know, Stephanie, as I, as I heard you speak about the seeing what people will go through to become a part of a democratic ballot or election procedure in other countries, I, I've lived o- overseas, not just in Ireland, but I was a I worked with a, with an NGO that was in the the democracy building for a while, and living in Albania or working as an election observer in Albania and living in in Nigeria and, and Egypt and seeing what these people are struggling against, I could tell the level of passion and care that you, that you, the heartfelt description that you, that you had as you described that. And it made me think about the heartfelt Stephanie Schmidt who decided to run for Congress in the first place. Take me a little bit into off the election campaign and just what it means well, how, when you decided to do this, that whole journey discussion, but really as a a child of Irish immigrants at some point and talking about what it means for people who've struggled to get to where you are today. What does it mean from a personal perspective to be a democratic candidate? You won the primary. You're the candidate for this district for the House of U.S. Representatives.
1: Oh, Gina, it, it is the greatest honor and privilege of my life. And, you know, I... My story is the American dream. I come from this very long line of strong women and in particular, my mom who was the first person and the only person of her generation to go to college. And she grew up with a a dad that didn't think women should uh, get a college degree. And so she had to work to put herself through school. He didn't speak to her for several years, but she knew that uh, the pathway forward to success for our family was getting a college degree. And I'm so proud that she did that and put me in this position. My dad's mom, uh left her husband when he was just an infant. It was an abusive marriage in 1950. And she had the courage to leave, to build a better life for him and her. And I just, I carry them with me on the campaign trail. I carry the women in Haiti that I met who literally, when they announced they were running for office, faced threats of violence and death just for being a woman, putting their name on the ballot to serve their country. And I think about all of them while I'm on the campaign trail. I think about all the women in this district who are writing postcards and volunteering. And it's really amazing, the army behind me that's lifting me up. And this isn't about me, it it is about all of us. It's about Mm -hmm. a community that's desperate to have a representative who lives among them, is accountable to them and is taking their voices and their values to Washington DC and representing them. And I think that's something that we lose sight of, but this country was founded on the idea that citizen public servants would go to the Capitol and serve for a period of time and represent their states and their districts. And then they would go back home and do the hard work there. It's not meant to be a lifelong career for 40 years. I mean, my husband has literally never held another job except working in his parents' sporting goods store. He was elected at 27 and first ran for this seat at 25. It's quite honestly just time for a new voice to represent our community. And I wish him nothing but the best in retirement.
0: New voices and final question. Let's say it's January, you've you've been elected. You are now coming in, making your new office in those congressional buildings in DC where you once worked yourself as an intern. What's the first thing you'd like to do or like to accomplish if you could? <sighs>
1: You know, that has changed. I think I have three top priorities. The first is health care. We need to do so much more to ensure that every American has access to quality health coverage and care. And this pandemic has laid bare uh, the problems of tying uh, health insurance only to employment. We have to have a public option. And I know Vice President Biden and many others agree with me, and that will be a top priority. Tied to that is doing everything we can to eradicate this pandemic. Not just in America, but across the world. We have an obligation and responsibility to work cooperatively with our allies and partners at the World Health Organization and elsewhere to make sure that no one is suffering from COVID 19. And then I think America has a lot to do to rebuild broken relationships with our trusted allies. And um, we really have to put in the hard work of making sure that uh, folks around the globe trust the word of American leaders and the American people and are know that we are ready and willing to work in partnership with them once again, that this was really a mirage the past four years. It is not who America is, or what we will be going forward. And I look forward to doing that work. It is so easy to tear things down and destroy them, but it is so hard and it takes a lot of time to build alliances and partnerships. And there are many of us in office and running for office who are committed to doing that hard work to ensure that the rest of the world knows who America is
0: the hard work, the difficult work, but the very important work of rebuilding relationships within the United States and with with its allies and its partners abroad. Stephanie Schmidt, it's been an absolute pleasure to speak with you here today on the Irish American Politics Show. I thank you so much and wish you all the best in your race for the Congressional District seat number four in New Jersey. And that is this episode on generational politics and meeting a candidate running for U.S. Congress today from the Irish American Politics Show. Again, I'm Gina London, and I look forward to seeing you right here next time.
1: Thank you, Gina.